If you had a conspiracy, what animal would you name it after? Ooh, I gotta say zebra is good, but there's a zebra murders. Mm. Um, uh, catfish. I feel like a good name for like some bullshit like uh, thing would be like the cat the catfish conspiracy. Mm. Also, I'd probably be pretty rocking at catfishing in general, like the act of it. Okay. Um, oh or, wait, the act of it. Okay, I got it. Yes. Or like the what's the the uh, the ass conspiracy, like the mule. Conspiracy. The, the ass conspiracy. <laughs> the ass conspiracy. I feel like that would the, be the, the reason ass, that the that would files. be a good one is because it would confuse people right off the, the bat. The ass conspiracy, and people would be like, "What is it about?" It's like, no, it's, it has to do with just like these mountainous roads that. Yeah. But yeah, the what about you? Um, I don't know. Good question. I love that I threw that out there, and I didn't. Yeah, have no answer. answer. That's a, that's the I classic. No the interviewer's gambit. I'm gonna do the capybara. The, the, that is what you would do? The capybara conspiracy? What about you? They're so cute. Probably go with sloth. Sloth mm-hmm. conspiracy? It's, it's a deadly sin. Sort yeah. of a slow, slow burn, that yeah. one. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode one of the Ass Conspiracy. Just playing. Welcome to episode who knows of True Anon. Of whatever. Of whatever. <laughs> yeah, welcome to who knows episode who knows of whatever. My name is Who Gives name. a Shit. Yeah, I'm Shut the Fuck Up. And we're, of course, joined by producer. Tell me next time. What is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third base. Just kidding. It's true on. I'm Liz. That's Brace. Young Chomsky, you know the drill. You know the motherfucking drill. Uh, it's part two of our interview about, I almost just made a joke, but the octopus and the now out on streaming, available wherever streaming is sold, mm-hmm. but exclusively know. in this case <laughs> to Netflix. <laughs> to Netflix, yeah, I think, it's, I think that is slightly um, misleading. American Conspiracy, colon, the octopus murders, uh, mm-hmm. about the suicide of Danny Castellaro, his investigation into the possible stealing of the Promise software and all of the crazy cast of characters that he encounters in investigating that whole story. I don't even know what else to say. I mean, there's just so fucking much. I will say this, because we should have said this on the opening for the last one, Uh which we are recording back-to-back. This is not just is this, like, tough to kind of, like, to untangle. Yeah. Like, as just a person reading and thinking about it and looking into it. But also we didn't do any of that on these in these episodes. <laughs> we didn't really try to, to untangle too much of it because I think so much of our conversation is really just geared on these these guys' experience and in, in them yeah. trying to untangle. Well, I mean, the, the thing is they made the fucking documentary, I'm right? saying if you want to learn the ins and outs of this thing, one, watch the movie. It's not my job to educate you. It's my job to entertain you. That's okay, fair enough. But it's like edutainment. Um, it's yeah, infotainment. Uh, no, but there's so much stuff out there about this, and and it's a real crazy ride, as you can see. But I just want to, you know, if you guys are really looking for more, like 
you know, I apologize if we don't, didn't get into too much specifics, but there's just so much to talk there's about. So and much. it's so fun. We could have gone for like 10 more episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's. I think this is makes a really good companion piece to the documentary. Absolutely, so we absolutely. get into a lot of stuff they couldn't, they didn't have time or whatever yeah. for legal reasons can't cover in there. Which means go back through your emails, find your ex boyfriend's Netflix password, mm-hmm. and fucking get on that. Get on that. It's uh, it's your last name plus seventy seven as a tribute to punk rock. Um, also, Ghost Stories for the End of the World, a uh, friend of the show, has a great ten part series mm. on Octopus as well. Uh, And, uh, yeah, let's just fucking, let's play the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to True and On. We have with us here, and I'm so excited... Part two of our interview with the two guys who made that documentary about the dude who fucked the octopus, from what I can understand, from the one sheet we were handed by a mute, vizier type of figure that uh, approached us from Netflix, wearing a, a conical hat, very clearly displaying the fact that he had been gelded, uh, much like a, uh, a, a horse or, or, or certain dogs, although I guess they don't cut the penises off of dogs. Just fucking plan. We have with us here Zachary Trites. Trites? Trites. Trites, hailing straight from a Sudetenland. Uh, and Christian Hansen, uh, one of the unfortunately not musically inclined Hansen brothers, uh, who are here to talk about their now out documentary, American Conspiracy. The Octopus Movies. Thank you and forgive me for that introduction. The Octopus Murders. The Octopus... What did I say? You said movies. The Octopus Movies? <laughs> American Conspiracy. The four Octopus versions, Movies. Four new versions yeah. of the movie about the guy who fucked the octopus. Yeah, it's our, if, it's our Lars von Trier five obstructions. Yes. <laughs> what if this time we approach it like an M.M. Octopus threesome? Anyways, we last left off uh, in Cabazon, and now we are kind of going up to San Francisco to talk about the murder of Michael Riconosciuto's business partner. But before that, I want to back up a little bit and talk about Michael Riconosciuto himself because he is one of the most key players of both the octopus story in terms of like the – the alleged story of everything that happened and in like the octopus, I guess you would call it like just narrative in general. Mm -hmm. Um, I was thrilled to find that you guys actually pick up Reconosciuto from prison, which I was shocked about because I'm going to be honest. If I'm in prison for 26 years, the last thing I want to find is um, upon my release is two guys and my cousin waiting for me. Right. Um, what was that? We exper- also like offered to take him out to dinner wherever he wanted to go. <laughs> wherever he wanted to go. Where did he we want to go? We were going to go to Santa Barbara. We pulled up in front of this taco place that had great reviews. And he was like, he took one look at it and he was like, this place is gentrified. And <laughs> he it, said gentrified? Yeah, and he's been in prison for 26 years. <laughs> wow. Um, and so then we went Shit's to. Changed, he's like, can we just go to a Denny's? Can we just, can we not just go to a Denny's? He's and, on his Austin Powers and it, shit. And it's like, really, you, you've you been in prison for 26 years and you want to go to Denny's right it's now. like, not, they microwave the eggs. It's like prison. But that's, well, that's Emily's theory. What, I don't know if we're even allowed to go into that, but you know. What? Mm, Denny's is like, 
there's a lot of stories that involve Denny's. Some strange, you know, it's a it's a through line through a lot of strange stories. Like a so, lot of important meetings mm. oh, have happened this, at uh, Denny's. Yeah, happened not just in our thing, and like lots general. of like things. Like, yeah. Tom O'Neill, I think Tom O'Neill had a lot of Denny's meetings probably. Well, yeah. it's open 24 hours. It's one <laughs> it's of the few places that is in a lot of suburban towns. Well, so we 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 picked him up after 26 years of, you know, 26 years earlier, he had gone to prison and Danny Casolero had met him that first weekend that he got arrested. Yeah. And he got arrested for a drug charge for ma- manufacturing. He is a an amateur chemist. Well, professional well, chemist, actually, because he sold he, it for money, he, allegedly, he, from the government. Well, I guess— It depends on who you ask, right? He would say—or the government would say, this guy is a major manufacturer of methamphetamine and other drugs. They would say and pro. He would say— Yeah. yeah. And he would say, I was wrongly accused and— arrested for uh, because I had come up out with the truth about what happened to the Promise software and all the people that I was dealing with out at Cabazon and all the and various as, machinations as, of whack and hut. As to the questions of, well, what about, what about all those esoteric chemicals that you had on your property? Well, he was... Um, he was taking um, detritus from um, abandoned copper mines, some a material called slag, and he was um, he had come up with a chemical process of uh, extracting precious metals from um, from slag? from mine, mining slag, and I think he was look. What, what, what was it? Was uh, what the Greenwood pile? Yeah, there were various metals that slag. he was getting. Oh, oh well, he was he was he was extracting I think he was getting platinum. Yeah, I think one of the the sort of encapsulation is like he came up with a cost-effective way to extract precious minerals like platinum and gold and uh-huh. various things from previously, you know, slag is previously processed yeah. ores, right? Or previously processed minerals. And so it's like a cold, you know, a cold chemical method that that you get more out of it than what you put in. Interesting. Uh, and he has... And so was it, it wasn't 20, 250 was, tons of slag like, in various places. Maybe the, some of the same, his explanation, some of the same chemicals he used to make meth. To extract or it, what you extract plat- platinum with in right. his process. But also when he was, so that was in 1991 mm-hmm. when he was uh, arrested for that. Uh, but in 1972 or th- or so, he was, uh, he was arrested for uh, manufacturing PCP. In a um, in a lab that you actually had to enter th- with scuba gear, <laughs> you know it was like it the, was on a river and a boat, and the like entrance was below. Interesting, because he had a, he had a lot of surveillance um, happening. I, I talked to the DEA dude who ran that investigation against him in the seventies, and they were watching him from the bridges on the tops of the buildings, and they they was watching this dude scuba. And then the pickup, dro- the drops were also in these sealed wow. containers in the, the you might know the Pacific Northwest better than me. Uh, the, Thankfully, Duwamish not. The Duwamish River that goes through Tacoma. <laughs> Thankfully, dude. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so the, they would pick up the, wow. the materials, and, and so the, they couldn't. They had a tough time busting him. Then when um, it, the, he was on trial. Obviously, he's doing scientific testing on the water, right? Mm-hmm. That's his, his story. He, that's yeah, what he says he's doing. He's, 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 yeah, but so that's kind of like of his own volition. He's just doing scientific testing on the water, right? The, the thing is that he was a child science prodigy, right? Yeah. Like that's that sort of objectively seems to be the the, the case here. When he was, um, in, you know, at nine or so, he won a big science fair. He was he was um, 
we have we found articles in the paper of him having rewired his neighborhood with its own uh own like competing system to the to the bell mm-hmm. uh, you know telephone system that was like, free re- rewired um and by the time he was 16 he's in the Stanford lab physics lab of Arthur Schala Dr. Arthur Schala who essentially invented the laser the maser it was called at the time but the mm-hmm. laser um, and he's doing laser research there uh, at, at 16 by the age of 22 yeah he's getting involved with the drug thing um, it, it, just uh, since you're San Francisco you guys are San Francisco he yeah. attended high school at an all boys school called the Woodside Priory in um, in Palo Alto it's in um, it's that what's that valley it's called? the upscale valley where the guys that did the Coachella, uh, the Chowchilla kidnapping lived um, starts with a P Portola Valley. Portola oh, Portola Valley. Valley. Oh, Portola. It's, it's like a very exclusive. This is something we don't dive into in the sh- in the show at all. But it's 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 worth mentioning. I feel like right the Doug Vaughn's analysis of he's somebody we interviewed in a, a journalist. Um, he he did research into Michael and talked about how that school allegedly. Well, it was a Hungarian. It was Hungarian um, uh, priests, priests or, or or monks, I guess, mm. who had. Who were who had been anti-communist in Hungary and and allegedly had worked with the CIA and State Department over there, you know, in their anti-communist efforts. And then after the after they when they left Hungary, they came to the Portola Valley, founded this school, and dug this. And it was a journalist. school for troubled troubled boys. Uh huh. Mm, I never heard of it. Now it's a good like, school. Rich, it's a good yeah. school now. I yeah. think it's, you know, we don't want to cast too many aspersions. But I, when I went and but, visited, I was but saying, that, that it had been importantly a, in his telling, a recruitment ground for um, child prodigies c- c- for 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 the CIA. And it's like, is that true? Like, how could you even prove that ever? But it's an interesting thing. You've got these monks who worked with the Central Intelligence Agency, and they're dealing with all these kids yeah. and like well you're spotting talent I, w- I would do it yeah if I were yeah. you guys and, and so then you know that's San Francisco and you know then Michael turns up at this avant-garde theater on Haight and Ashbury or the Haight area called the Straight Theater uh-huh. um, where he uh, at one point and this is a, a story I, I learned from the founders of the theater not from Michael he never even told me this story the night that um, Ken Kesey did a, a thirty-minute rap along to the Warlocks, the predecessors of the Grateful yeah, Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or not Ken Kesey. Not Ken Kesey. Neil Cassidy. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Um, the night that Neil Cassidy did this like rap, um, Michael Riccardo had brought a laser from Stanford and was like. You know, projecting it, you know, around his like stomach and stuff. Yeah, as like like kind of talking about it, I think during this thing. As a you know piece of the lighting and look at this cool new. Well, that was a big thing back then in 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 San Francisco in the sixties. There's like light shows by yeah. And so so there's a way you could see Michael as this this guy who comes out of the counterculture movement and kind of moves into the the. You know, as it goes from acid, if you want to think of it that way, I think that's a good way to think a, of it. Acid into the speed. into the into the speed years later on in the seventies and eighties. He's also adamant with us in that car ride when we picked him up. Was adamant that he was part of 
COINTELPRO New Left. He was part of, he was. He was like, I worked for the I FBI was in, as yeah, part of COINTELPRO. He was like, there was a communist threat. The communists had been, in, the hippie movement had been infiltrated by communists, and I was keep helping keep tabs on what was going on as, as an informant. Yeah, interesting. So he his whole thing is he's like I was like both informant and target, which actually but also be. loves the music of San Francisco, and he's turned me on to some amazing <laughs> bands yeah. from Joy that Cooking. era. Yeah, this oh, band Joy, called yeah, the Joy, Joy Cooking. Cooking. Yeah, um, that's interesting. But also, like, you didn't really need COINTELPRO to infiltrate the hippie movement, as it pretty much did the work of COINTELPRO by its very nature of like depoliticizing people and getting people to tune in, just drop out or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but he's such a fascinating character that you guys get in, involved with that Danny himself had been involved with. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a, a part in this where you actually reenact Danny Casalero going looking for this cassette that Michael Riccanosciuto told him was like out in the, like this wilderness, a very strange story. Um, and I feel like that's so emblematic of like Riccanosciuto's uh, kind of MO because like he, he kind of is, is like sending this tantalizing information, like all the answers are here, but it, all it does is just like obfuscate more and like add more confusion and really waste Danny Castellaro's time. Yeah. his Someone said Michael Riccanosciuto's favorite words are, I've got the document, I've got the photo, I've got it on film, you know, but you'll never see it, you know. Yeah. Which... We found to be, you know, dealing with Michael, I found him to be a very, uh, when I first learned about him from Christian and met him, I was a huge skeptic of his. I mean, I'm still a skeptic of pretty much anybody in this story, but as you check out more and more, he speaks very quickly, drops a lot of names. There's a lot of stuff in there. Some of it's true, some of it's not. Fundamental stories that I thought were total bullshit turned out to be true in a way that I it's just kind of amazing like to me now. Um, some of the stories about, I mean, like like what happened to with Paul Maraska and the things that happened in San Francisco and the people he was dealing with, people like Philip Arthur Thompson, which we can get into. You know, it's like or in, just in like my if, mind, I, if, if you met him at um, you were wandering around San Bernardino and you met him at a, a you know a car parts store or something. And you struck up a conversation, and you didn't know anything about this. And he said, yeah, you know, back in the 80s, I used to work on this Native American reservation. I was a director of research for the Wackenhut Corporation, which was – and we were – and you'd be like, yeah, whatever. And he's the way he's presenting it and talking so fast, it's like there's basic things, basic parts of his story that are true that are absurdly fictional sounding. Yeah. Yeah. I know, yeah, I know what you mean. Getting even to his – the the Maraska murder. Right. I mean, it is a real verifiable fact that his actual real life business partner was murdered in a pretty spectacular fashion. Yeah. Um, and the way that you guys get into that in, in this is 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 fascinating because it seems like Philip Arthur Thompson uh, is kind of who you like point the finger at. It's like this guy probably did it. Yeah. And he was both an FBI informant. Yes. And he was also, which is proven, you got, you show the documents, but he was also legitimately part of uh, Riccanosciuto's, like, circle. 
You know, like he had shown up and just like started hanging out with them one day. His dad was paying him to to be like his whatever friend. How the fuck did his dad get in contact? That 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 was the question his I had. His dad, you know, got into contact with Philip Arthur Thompson through through John Nichols, essentially. I mean, it's it's hard. It's, there's <laughs> there there is a a, a lot of people. Everybody that involved in this triangle has a different. Uh, explanation as to how Philip Arthur Thompson enters into their lives, and then and then Philip Arthur Thompson's explanation, you know, a fourth take is that he first met Michael back in the early '60s in San Francisco, but w- the way that um, w- they're basically the account from Michael is that the FBI was. We, we mentioned that Michael had a business partner who was murdered, Paul Maraska. Yeah. The business that they were in was um, drug. It was drug business, drug wholesale operation. Illegal drugs. Illegal drugs, yeah. Uh, he, he had uh, – Paul was, was moving cocaine. They also had like a huge supply of um, precursor chemicals to make uh, methamphetamine like – when we talk about huge supply, though, I think it's important to mention like train the car, scale train that we're talking about. Loads. We're talking about we're talking about phenylacetic acid. We're talking about you, you basically need two, yeah, two major two two, two important ingredients, right? And Michael and had yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael had access to. I think Paul had said like, "Hey, can you get me some like phenylacetic acid?" And Michael was like, "Well, I, I can't get you like a little." But I can get you a tr- like an entire train card load of it, like two was it two tons or something like that? It was it was something massive, right? And when you're dealing with that kind of volume, you got to think about like people we've talked to about it who just had who know that business. You know, it's just like you don't really get access to that without having some kind of government connection, um, <laughs> and that that. Um, May, the massive way, amount the of the way they got the fetal acetic acid is, is also fascinating. There's a guy who the guy that actually coined the term zero waste. He's a yeah. kind of an amazing, brilliant guy, and and bless, bless his heart, you know, he has dedicated his life to tracking down unwanted vats of chemical product and finding um, somebody who wants them. Someone who wants them, and rather than it getting tossed because like. I, I bought this old factory, and there's a vat of whatever on it. Throw it in the river. Throw yeah. it in the river. No, it's like here you could, and so he here you can make math, <laughs> right? Well, he, <laughs> he he has he's a uh, recycling visionary. Yeah, but he also um, you know knew Michael, and he had connections to the DEA. Like they knew kind of what he what he was up to. Uh, I mean, th- there's a published account, and then there's his account, and he I don't know. Basically, he, he hooked them up with the phenylacetic acid, or he yeah, told them where yeah. they should get it. Yeah, it was phenylacetic acid, and there was and then there was monomethylamine, which Michael. Sorry, Michael got the monomethylamine. Michael got the monomethylamine. I'm sorry, yeah, those are the two important ingredients. Yeah, but also it's one, important to highlight they're not like moving drugs on a on a fucking corner. Like they, I mean, no, these are train, train cars, cars yeah, that are massive. loading into, and something we don't really get into. I wish we had in this in the story is just the background of Michael's father owned the town of Hercules. Which is outside of San Francisco. There. Yeah. Yeah. So Hercules, Hercules was a dynamite like, manufacturing facility. I did know that. Yeah. And so it was a dynamite town. 
town, essentially, because yeah. it was such a big factory. And he bought that plant and essentially bought the town. And Michael had a lab. Like a Michael had a lab there. lab there. They pull up the train into the dynamite facility. You can pull up a whole train car, you know? And there are other interesting people working from, like, the Lawrence Livermore lab out of there. They had a kitty litter mine uh, somewhere else down the coast doing, yeah. doing kitty a, litter is mine kiddo, they, kiddo, they, kitty litter it's yeah. diatomaceous, diatomaceous earth, earth. Yeah. you know what? We use like in, bed a, bugs. in the like yeah. deserty central valley like I think probably close to Trona I lost my husband in the kitty litter mine <laughs> wow so, so my, Michael that had toxic Michael you had a guy back lung you die of a hairball Michael's dad Marshall is a super interesting character that del- there's his own whole freaking podcast or whatever he was a guy who his name's mentioned Christian found his name several times in the Warren report. Marshall. Marshall, Marshall Rikana Shiro. He was he was um, he was business partner with one of the three hobos from yes, the, you know, yeah, this guy yeah. named Fred Christman. And Craig Fred Christman, Christman interviewed by uh, uh, Gar- Garrison, Jim Garrison. Jim Garrison. Uh, yeah, there's a there's an interview with with Christman by Jim Garrison oh, on wow. the internet too. Yeah. Right, and so. Uh, he's also in business with this guy Patrick Moriarty, who was a um, had a fireworks empire. They had a fireworks empire called uh, Red Devil. Red Devil Fireworks. And and Moriarty, we called his nephew or something like that. He was like, you know, my dad was the first, um, you know, non government official to go into China and during the detente. And it's like. Ah, like okay. you're a fireworks guy. You're going over to China. Oh. And also California, politics, Republican, Nixon. Republican. Yeah. There's this whole like kind of Republican intelligence-related, politically connected group, and Marshall is a part of that milieu. Also that, the so Disneyland knows, fireworks every night that go off over the— That's Red Devil? That's That was Red Devil. That was, that Red that Devil. was, that was Michael's father's company. A, that's a hell of a—that's a little connection to have there. Yeah. Interesting. And so, yeah, I mean, his— None of that made it into the movie, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> it was just too much. But but that's the kind of world that Michael's coming from. He's 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 a brilliant kid, science prodigy, has a knack for doing chemistry. Sometimes that knack seems to get him into trouble. And he's got this partner, Paul Maroska, who wants a shit ton of chemicals to to make or doesn't even want that many, but lands with this shit ton of of chemicals, very extremely valuable chemicals. But he also has a, you know, kind of a, a contract, if you will, a certain amount of, a, a huge shipment of Coke every month comes from New York that he offloads. Yeah. You know, he's got, he's, you know, a pretty heavy um, businessman. And so they were moving these drugs through Cabazon? No. Well, I, money Not that the, they were using for Cabazon for the night vision stuff Paul was was an investor in some yeah. of that stuff, and and John Nichols had 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 mentored Michael and mentored Paul through Michael into starting a company that they were all working on together. Developed the night vision, kind of a laundering part of it's kind of laundering some yeah, of this drug yeah. money part into the, the theme, intelligence. The theme of like uh, doing scientific research, and, but also doing drugs. The yeah. company was called Recovery Technology Inc., which <laughs> okay. is very reminiscent yeah. of in 1991 when he's trying to recover, pre- and, and he says that they're trying to do the same thing then but meanwhile there's okay and so th- so they have this massive amount of paul his partner has a massive amount of precursors right so that seems like uh you know where value comes comes and, that, and it's hidden it's hidden the the, the it's it's a pretty complicated story, but they're basically waiting for one dude to get out of hiding, and so they're going to cook it all before they sell it. So the, the the precursors are are hidden in an abandoned mine in Nevada, and Jesus. they're basically waiting 
for like the time to be right, and then they're gonna cook it and and, and sell. So they'll be tens they'll of a, millions of dollars worth of drugs. So yeah. much money. So um, they, and John Philip Nichols knows all this stuff, and he's having his own money problems himself right. with the casino. Like he, you know, he's in the arms business and all this stuff. But like the casino actually was having so many legal problems because they were fighting yeah, the government yeah. and doing all this stuff, and and perhaps who knows where the money ultimately was going at the time as well. And there, the casino went. You know, this is kind of Christian's own point in the movie and research that he did. It's like the casino went bankrupt in December of '81. Yeah. And a month later, Michael's partner, this drug mover, Paul, is hogtied, is found in his apartment, hogtied, strangled to death. Yeah. Like clearly tortured. Clearly tortured. He seems to have been alive for a while. And he lived on, what did he live on? He lived on Kearney and uh, like right on Telegraph uh, Hill. Yeah. yeah like right where that walkway Swiss is where Chalet. people take the, sel- the selfies. What, what's yeah. the. Broadway. Like up near, near Co- like towards Coit Tower, right? Yeah. Like right. up on yeah, the yeah. hill you towards can, Coit. You can step out and see yeah. Coit from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's what uh, he's he's like he's Michael is the one who finds the body. Michael Michael goes over to his house. We haven't introduced Philip Arthur Thompson. We, we haven't explained. But, 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 but Mike, Mike, Michael goes to. I just think it's right. important okay. to mention. Like Michael's the one who went over to his partner's house and. Finds the body, does not call the cops, does not do anything. He calls a guy named John Philip Nichols, who we know, Dr. John Nichols, 700 miles away mm-hmm. at Cabazon. And John Nichols says, get down here. You know? And so Michael drives overnight there, and, and eventually they alert the police that there's a body sitting there in Telegraph Hill. And the police, one of the detectives we interviewed, is – thrust into this world that we kind of like already know about you know by the time you know us yeah, in this room but also like, in the movie he, basically a, a lawyer in LA that he's still alive I won't mention him fascinating guy he uh, he calls the San Francisco Police Department it's like if you go you'll you'll find a you'll find a body at this house and you know so then all right the the police go find the body. It's tied very strangely. They call this lawyer back and they say, "Okay, what's going on here?" You know, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and like, and, like wh- and he's like, "Well, well I can introduce you, know you to this? the guy that told me about it." You know, he's uh, he's currently in the Palm Springs area, but it's my understanding that he's on his way to L.A. and he would love to he would love to speak to you. Interesting. And so that's when they meet Michael, and you know, Michael it tells the detectives, you know. You know, basically, he seems distraught. We have this, you know, on tape this this call, and he seems um, very concerned and and distraught. And it doesn't you don't get the impression that Michael killed, killed him. Paul. Yeah. Um, but then, like, he asks, like, "Well, was it sexual? What do you think?" He asks the police that, and you're also like, "So what is? Why would he ask that? Like, you saw it. Like, he yeah. saw the the. It, it's not like." It's not a sexual, yeah. Well, and and Michael that. sounds. He also seems very innocent on those calls. He he's, he he says at one point he's like, he died pretty hard, didn't he? And it's like, oh fuck, because I mean, strangled. You, the body had been sitting there too. I'm sure there was blood. There's he says yeah, there's yeah, an incredible yeah. smell. You know, I mean, you're sitting there and this guy that you know in his apartment and he's you know he's dead. Um, and and Michael, I think over the course of time. He comes to believe that the reason that he's dead is because of John Philip Nichols 
an opportunity that presented itself where John Nichols essentially hooked him up with an FBI informant slash serial killer named Philip Arthur Thompson. And and to put a fine point on this, Philip Arthur Thompson was being paid by Michael Reconosciuto's dad. Yes. In the months leading up In to this. In the months leading up to this. Michael Reconosciuto's father was paying, paying John Nichols a salary already to do, you know, mental health help on yeah, Michael. And, and, and then John Nichols is like, well, there's another guy that you should use because I can't, you know, I can't. <laughs> he says, in, in, oh, my God, it's the most amazing. I think it's the most amazing part of our entire show, the most amazing line. He explains, John Nichols explains the reasoning behind why he's telling Marshall that he should hire John uh, Philip Arthur Thompson to look over Michael. He says, sometimes a sociopath can help a psychopath. Yes. Very it's a matter of fact. Line. It's like, great you know, he's like a, psycho, uh, a sociopath can help a psychopath. And it's like, you sit there and you think, I, I listened to it, I was just like, uh, what can help a what? It's what? like saying the Kentucky Derby is the first Saturday in May every single year. Yeah, yeah. A sociopath so can help a psychopath. And, and you hear Eddie in these, in these conversations, he's just like, Okay, <laughs> you know, you just—it's beyond normal understanding of what this guy is doing. And and John Nichols, he's there, you know, talking to Eddie, the detective, like he's just—I want to help you in any way I can. Yeah, you know. And it's like he just lures you right in. There's another line where he's like, he, Eddie's father was the former coach of the of the Raiders. Yeah, right? the Oakland and Raiders. He, and he's, he was like, he's like, your father was an amazing coach. That must make you pretty young, huh? And he's like, oh, I guess, I, I guess it does. He's like, mm-hmm. And you can just almost hear him like kind of lining Weird. Eddie up and being like, a young detective, this shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, yes. Wow. I mean, it's just, I mean, th- I think that's a really extraordinary aspect because there's pretty clear evidence uh, that uh, Philip Arthur Thompson is a serial killer yeah. in a way that that is actually beyond the remit of this story and like killed possibly multiple people while definitely working for, as an informant for the FBI, uh-huh. which ties into, like, a whole other realm of, like, 60s, 70s, 80s stuff around yeah. serial killers and government contact uh, that is that is sort of extraordinary. And it looks like he, he, he eventually does get busted for murder, too, which— Yes. As do, like— Thanks to the family of one of the victims, uh, they, like, really put the squeeze on— but I mean, I talked to a uh, district attorney, a retired DA, who w- w- was just convinced that he was a, a CIA. Like he did jobs overseas. He, he wasn't just like a yeah. He didn't just rape and kill women in the U.S. for his own pleasure. He also like had had foreign assignments. And and there's a lot of evidence that he was uh, running guns to El Salvador. Wow, it certainly turns up a lot in this. And, and there was. Multiple stories about him. You know, it's very going, likely that we'll do going, a f- yeah, we'd like to like explore this further. But like, he was going in and out of jail and prison constantly. Yes. Okay. But getting out and sometimes going on, uh, you know, just on leave from prison in, in certain ways. Yeah, federal agents would check him out. Would just, check him like out. Of jail. Like it was like like yeah. it was a library book. What was just, it? The DA told to Christian. I remember him saying something like, "It, it was like you know." He had a, you know, some people have a, have a, have a Mastercard, you know, in life. They have a Visa. This guy had a platinum card. Okay, he get, he was able to access things that, you know, that was his metaphor for it. I was like, I guess that kind of works. It just it's, it's very like, reminiscent of like the like you know, the, the Dave McGowan stuff and, and chaos and like it's just it's such of a especially it's where it took a place similar to. era and yeah. and cast of characters and 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 we talked to 
Tom O'Neill, and he was kind of a big inspiration hero for us. We, we share characters, you know. Yeah, and, and, and if you haven't read the book, it's Chaos by Tom O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and the hate, you know, Michael in his San Francisco days used to go to the Haight Ashbury Free Medical Clinic oh, and guess. says that he knows Jolly West. Interesting. He would say that. He would, yeah. Well, but the, he also kind of acts like he's, like he uh, might have been a part of the program. Like, does he, Michael Reconoshuta himself sort of hints that he might have been an MK Ultra yeah, yeah. S- subject yeah, or practitioner? And, and said it, yeah. He it, said that Jolly West, at one time he said, he was like, oh, he's one of the good guys. It's like, oh, but his brain's If you think that, if you know him, your brain is potentially <laughs> well, very even scrambled. The, I would say that that killing the elephant, even if you are like the biggest anti-communist, like mind control crusader in the world, the elephant thing probably unnecessary. The elephants are bridge too far. Yeah, I mean, Reconoshoot is such an interesting figure in this. And it's what was it like dealing with all of these people, Robert Booth Nichols being one of them as well, um, that have this like this strange like aura of like complete bullshit. I mean, at one point, Christian, you look in the camera and you're like, all of these people are insane. Yeah. Uh, and the viewer feels a lot of sympathy for you in that moment because certainly the the footage that had just been shown helps illustrate that. Um, and, I, and I feel very self-conscious about that scene. I think it's a powerful scene, but I, I don't think that the Castellero family, you know, are is insane. Per- I, you know, I understand that you probably feel like because oh, I, I, I should all put these that people. In. I definitely it's don't mean that. Very yeah, obvious to the viewer that you're not talking, you're not about. talking about <laughs> Tony Castellero, who's like <laughs> extremely sweetest. measured yeah. and like very clearly not okay, insane. Good. Yeah. Um, I mean, what is it like sort of like coming up against this? Because it seems like Casalero, that is like one of the theories about Danny Casalero's, like if he committed suicide, right? Yeah. Is that he was taken in by this group of hucksters who like are bad people who genuinely did cr- crazy shit, uh, but were lying and sort of stringing him along with this story. You guys essentially take up from where he ended there and like it, kind of are subject to the same forces of just like, Smoke and mirrors, and just like dazzle and bullshit, right. but then also these like this like line of truth beneath all. We of were them. able to document so much of the supposedly bullshit stuff that these crank crackpots were telling Danny, um, but they also are like, you know, every other, you know they they do lie and they are very confusing people to deal with. They're also it's fun, you know, but it is interesting when you get to a point when like. You, it's pretty exciting when you first get to know these guys. Yeah, but then when you know you you realize you've been in been in it too long. When you roll your eyes, you're like, oh god, he's calling. Yeah, you know, you don't even want to deal with it anymore. But you know, whenever you talk to like Michael, for instance, it's always it, a, since we met him in 2017, he's always been on the brink of being hunted down and killed, and he's always just like. I am fighting for my life, <laughs> and it's one of one of the things he's. And at a certain point, you'll say, "And I feel bad if Michael hears this, but you know, what? what you seem like okay. Like you, the worst thing that happened is your heart from all the stress you're putting on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like who's who's chasing you? But then like, you've it's, been it's good like for you five have years, that, and then you have, but you have the history of it's like. People die around Michael. You know, it's yeah. Like, yeah. There's a lot of I mean, people he who wa- died let, let in me his tell past. You, I walk in and and I'm not going to use you as an example. 
and uh, young Chomsky has been trussed and slaughtered in an apartment, I might be paranoid for the yeah, rest of my life, for sure. you know? And, and and that energy lives with them, and it's that's that's the problem. It's like you just never know exactly where anybody's coming from. And there's in my mind, I came to believe that there's a, a point to that. And I don't necessarily it's a if it's an overall point, an overarching point that the octopus is like this, is this ultimate conspiracy or whatever. But that's that it's a it's a it's a play. It's a it's like a it's a dance. It's like a piece of jazz that's being improvised but there's people who are better at it and people who are worse at it and they're all playing this kind of game and it's how Michael plays it is uh, you know he has information that he knows is true I think and information he knows is false and he uses that and seeds it out into the world and it gives him ability to kind of move around and see what's going on and see who's talking to who because you can see what information passes to whom and it's it's fascinating, and it also I think that smokescreen allows for a lot of the people in this story to get away with the things that we talk about. People getting away with people get away with murders. People get away with enormous drug deals and enormous amounts of money and arms and intelligence operations all around the world because it's all just too damn confusing for anybody to really parse it. It's designed confusing. Well, I think there's like almost like two different projects that are sometimes seem like the same thing, but maybe aren't. Where there's like, and and I'm curious if you guys felt like this because I, my understanding of like Danny's project is that he kind of ran into this issue, which is that there's sort of like this idea of trying to find the quote unquote truth, mm. which this idea that there is this sort of like determined, like determinist, like reality that can be like you know you can strip away everything and you can understand like. What happened when, why, where, all of those answers, and like it's makes sense and it's clear. And then there's a story. And like sometimes those things are maybe like different projects. And there's something about like, I mean, at least, you know, from what I've read and what I understand, like Danny couldn't figure out what the story was that he wanted to tell, maybe because he got too obsessed with this idea that he could figure out the truth. And like, at least in my my, I mean, I'll just say like speaking for myself, like I think that that project of like figuring out this like exact thing is one like pretty much impossible um, and just never ending. But also maybe not like there's something to like figuring out the story and like you know an interpretation. I guess I would say like there is. I think sorry, I don't mean to like monologue here, but I think like. We have this idea in 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 our kind of like understanding of like interpretation that that's like different than like there's like there's truth and there's like interpretation like those are two different things that are at odds, but it to me like and in other languages too interpretation means like your version of like laying out the story like this is how I interpret the world this is how I lay things out I think that's like even like the German word for interpretation is like to lay things out, and in some ways that can be. Like more, almost like more um, insightful than the idea of getting to this like determined thing, because the idea of an interpretation is that it's supposed to kind of like wake you up, to like shock you, and to show you things that you weren't, you couldn't see before, to like illuminate things, and to kind of present something that can kind of make sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like in getting into the details and the truth of all these things, you kind of get bogged down, and you're unable to kind of actually lay out something that can 
you know, help us understand something a bit more. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. One little thing I'll throw to Christian, but I think that's why uh, last time we were talking, the last episode, we were talking about I, I was so insistent on sort of seeing the perspective of where things came from, the yeah. sort of like source of the information. And that's why ultimately, you know, Danny's in the movie. We see his perspective on things and we see him as a character and how his thinking evolves and devolves kind of at the same time over the course of it. And then it was important for us to just be extremely subjective and put ultimately ourselves and me, my view of Christian's interpretation of Danny. Mm. You kind of can't understand it without, you know, it's like a physics experiment or something, like without being a, a part of it, without affecting it, right. you know what I mean? And you can't really understand this bigger picture without understanding what it's doing to you and how you're interpreting it because the subjectivity is 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 how you have to see it. And it's also, like you're saying, I mean, it's there kind of is no... There, maybe there's an objective reality, but it's it's not one that anybody can grasp, really. Like, ultimately, it's it's as complicated as life itself, you know? Like, there's unending connections between mm. all of these people and in the intelligence world that we go into. That's, that's just really useful, like I was saying. You well, know? And, and at a certain point, you have to decide what you think. You have to say, like, oh, okay, I believe that he's telling the truth or not, or... It doesn't matter if I think, you know, it doesn't matter if he is or not. I'm going to still go with this lead. I'm going to still go with this hunch. And so you inevitably are going to end up crafting something whether you mean to or not. I mean, I think if, if Danny had funding and a research assistant and like. And a Netflix deal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. He would. Um, I think what the book likely would have been was a character study of different people within the stratosphere yeah. or the stratification of the intelligence world. Because, you know, we look at the different people that he wants to feature in the story. It's like, uh, you know, John Philip Nichols and this guy George Pinder who are like totally obscure, kind of small fry freelancers. And you go all up and up to um, the, you know, George H.W. Bush. Right. And, and if you do said, if you were to tell like a... Um, through the, the eyes of these tangible characters that you can really flesh out with color and, and events and stories, you'd get a pretty good sense of the this secret world of intelligence and fake history and stuff. Um, the, and the other point that I wanted to make, this book, The Devil's Chessboard by mm -hmm. David Talbot. Have mm -hmm. either of you read that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is like if Danny had that. I mean, that that – Really, like that's the octopus, you know. That um, Alan Dulles. I mean, yeah. this guy is like manipulating. If that book is true, which I, it's pretty well researched, yeah. This one person is drastically changing the course of history from the Holocaust to the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. In, in a very like, and that book is very a sober. A, Take on, on that, so. and so then, and, and and you know, um, uh, Danny doesn't mention Alan Dulles, but you know, it's just interesting. Like there yeah, he are he mentions all those guys, those yeah. OSS. Yeah, I mean, that's what he was really, really yeah, became he, ultimately interested in was the OSS, good old boy network of the intelligence community. People like Alan Dulles, yeah. right? And and I also, yeah, I guess I just I feel like Danny. It's important to note, like, also, we just don't have everything, right? It's like Danny died. He didn't finish his book. And our project is an extremely subjective way of Christian talking about how he's trying to finish his book, you know? And so, like, I don't know. I don't want – I'm not sitting here, like, defending Danny or something. I have no real dog in that fight or something. But I just think it's, like, 
this idea that he was just like totally out on a limb and had no idea what he was doing. It's like he did so much in a year, you yeah. know, found yeah. so much stuff and put it together. And like, yeah, other journalists had written about part of this stuff. That's research. You research part of that. He was kind of putting this, you know, what was kind of like an, a theory of everything, which is a very difficult thing to do. But it, it's a powerful project because you're linking all these different scandals that he'd looked over the last 10, 20, 30 years. And you're finding, yeah, actually – all these guys who were Iran Contra were over there, you know, involved in like the bombing of Laos or like maybe the yeah. Phoenix Project, the Phoenix Program, or you know, it's like they're all they are all connected. They yeah. all know each other, and it's not that far off to say that they they enrich themselves and the people around them by do by doing things that are seemingly semi legal or illegal, depending on where you're sitting in the world. And they're able to do that because of their intelligence connections. And they all basically involve like the same kinds of things, right? Like assassinations, uh, coups, uh, drugs, and oftentimes weapons smuggling. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's like this is just like an mo an of election the same cartel. election bullshit an election bullshit. Too. <laughs> yeah, Danny yeah. called it parochial political intrigue. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a very like there's a stylistic choice or a narrative choice within the documentary. Where you start, I, I think it doesn't happen in the first episode, but where uh, uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but Anne Clink? Yeah, uh, no, mentions Danny's that. Danny's friend. Yeah, Danny's friend mentions that that you, Christian, look like Danny Kessler, and you kind of do. Yeah. Um, and that, well, that came up because I mean, when that first came out, everybody that I've met, we we Bill Hamilton was just like I remember sitting on his driveway and him being like almost uncomfortable, just being like you really look like Danny. You know, there's all this, this, like, ghostly thing going on. And it's like, Anne said the same. Tony said the same. First thing, his first brother time did. that his, his brother, T- Tony Casolero, said the same thing. But the first time that ever happened to Christian was early on, before any of this documentary or anything was happening. Christian showed up at Danny's mom's house. Tony, Tony and Danny's mom, you know. Um, showed up at Tony's house, and Danny's mother lived in an adjacent uh, apartment. Mm-hmm. And... Tony wasn't home, so I went over and introduced myself to Danny's mother. And I was wearing um, jeans, uh, brown boots, a blue shirt. Um, I have blonde hair and blue eyes. I often wear blue. Yeah. And um, a camel hair sports jacket, which is just like kind of what I would wear if I was trying to dress semi-nice, wandering around D.C., introducing myself to people. But – and I (laughs) – I guess that's exactly how Danny used to dress. And his mother thought that I was like part of a prank show or something. What? You know, I had a notebook in my hand and I was like, hi, I'm here to talk about your late son. And she was like, get out of here. This is nutty. Like you are putting me on. Like she's like looking around for like where the cameras are mm-hmm. or something. Like she was like, this is too weird. No, I was at a certain point I calmed it down. I was like, this is how writers dress. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Wait, but so did that like trip you? Like, did you realize at some point when you were like, okay, I look like him. Now I'm like kind of taking on his project. Like, yeah, I mean, was I there think a it, bit of a? <laughs> I, I think it. I think it must have like subconsciously like helped me empathize with him. You know, we have part of your experience in the world is based on like how you look, kind of, because people treat you a certain mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. based on how you look, and and then. Um, you know, I come from a big, loving family. He comes from a big, loving family. He's from Virginia. I'm from Kentucky. 
you know, just like I, I don't know, we, we're very similar in, in certain in certain ways. Um, kind of unconventional thinkers. Um, both had and, a background in journalism, and, and we both have a, we both have a background in journalism. We both have a fear of blood, you know. And so, because when I found that he had a fear of blood and he died the way he did, that was another initial thing that was like, wait, 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 what? Yeah, and yeah, and I did. I, I, I for the first many years, I'd only seen like a grainy. Uh, JPEG, like black and white photo of, of him, and I was, and I, and I was twenty five, you know. And he died when he was forty four. So maybe I, I looked vaguely like him. I've looked, I've as I've aged, I think I've looked more and more like him. As we took our time with the documentary, Christian aged into the part. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Well, you also but, have a, you have a, you have a butt chin too. Oh yeah. Uh, or excuse me, a cleft chin. And Castellar also had a. Didn't he have a cleft? He had a butt chin too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the butt chin is like the most like Danny part of Christian. I want to be clear here. It, that it does, somebody, somebody, somebody does not have a butt chin. <laughs> but it, you know, it, when kind of casting Christian in the role of Danny, it, you know, it wasn't this just convenience thing or something like that. It was kind of this uncanny. Vertigo, like, or the tenant, or there's this sort of like doubling, like Hitchcockian yeah. doubling thing yeah, going yeah. on that we wanted to play. You know, there's for me, the story is kind of like a cautionary ghost story almost. Like, Promise is almost like the is like Jaws or something. It's like this, like, or, or Promise is like the ghost that's 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 like who knows how powerful this thing is and who knows what happens here. And 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 Danny and Christian kind of there's a there's like a melding that was like really powerful and just knowing, you know, it wasn't just. Us being like, ah, this is easy. Like, throw a Christian in the role. Like, uh, you know, save a couple, a couple dollars. Don't have to pay yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just like we almost like didn't want to do it as her, but it felt almost opportunistic and weird. But it was just like, well, we have to. It just makes too much sense, and it's getting too. Yeah. Things just are starting to get too weird in general. Let's just make. Let's just crank it up a notch and like. And I, I look forward to the opportunity as um, from a research standpoint, where you know I could use this you know we recreated his office to a t based really? on uh, yeah based on forensic photographs from the martinsburg news, police news stuff, and, yeah. and and yeah news footage we the exteriors we don't even mention this in the show the exteriors of danny's house in the show that's danny's actual house where he actually lived it, that house has since been bulldozed and turned into a mcmansion but i mean all all sorts of coincidences aligned where we were able to f- film in that house like right before it was bulldozed um and then um you know so i'm in his office i'm typing on the exact same typewriter that he had or the the same model it's not the same one and i'm i'm writing his words i'm in his office i'm driving in his car and then at this point where i had this meeting with robert booth nichols it was this really revelatory experience um, you'll see it in episode 3 me and Bob Nichols are at this hotel restaurant. And this Danny and Bob Nichols, right? Danny we call him and Bob Cranny, Christian Cr- and Danny. Cranny, yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's a funny slip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm this is you experience playing, I had. Yeah, me, Danny and Bob had this meeting at the Four Seasons Hotel in DC, and that I recreated that, or I I played Danny in a recreation of that. And you know the actor that played Bob was like super into the role, and he's sitting there talking, about, like just riffing about arms deals and and whacking hot and BCCI, and he's just going around, just just in character and just talking. And I'm sitting there taking notes, and and I'm and I'm thinking like, 
about that real night, that real evening in, in 1991. But why is this, this international man of mystery, like why is he messing around with this like unfunded uh, novelist slash researcher who's been poking into this guy's life in, mm. in, ma- in major ways and trying to you know, do this character study of a guy who at that point in time is an unknown yeah. underworld figure? And then why are they meeting together? Why are they, you know, what's going, like, why is Bob Nichols giving this guy any time? Yeah. And it was. Why do you think? I think he was getting something out of it. And what that is, for me, I mean, do you want to, I mean, for me, it's like, it's an information exchange, right? Yeah. And it's like, you got journalists, you got a journalist, especially one who doesn't have, like, the New York Times or somebody backing him up. And he's like a go-between between you and your like ex-business partner, Michael Riconosciuto, who you hate allegedly. And you want to find out what Michael's saying about you. And yeah. you're using Danny. You're throwing a little information out there. Danny's telling Michael, Bob said this about you. You get to do, it's like a depth charge. But then yeah, Danny's at like, this time also talking to FBI agents who were investigating Robert Booth Nichols and prosecutors who were investigating Robert Booth right. Nichols. So it's a way to see what someone knows, how far along on the trail they yeah, are. Yeah, how far along they're on the asking, trail. And, right. and there, there is every possibility, I think, for our minds that Bob, who's just an amazing other character, may or may really not be dead, it. actually. May or may not be dead, right. but it is 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 sitting there, and it you know Bob's just a, a guy, very I, from all accounts, very in, intelligent, somewhat maybe sociopathic if you want to throw some words around, um, person who does who's a criminal, um, and I mean like I use that word like it means something, but you know he's a he's a money launderer and arms yeah. dealer and and possibly other stuff, um, and and also seems to work with people, definitely worked with people in the intelligence world. Um, Bob Mayhew, like, there's a whole, whole other like sort of web of connections around Bob that's almost separate from Michael. Um, and like, he's, he's, maybe he slipped up, you know, he, he would drink and make, maybe he just said something to Danny or Danny found out something that he just really shouldn't have mentioned, you yeah. know, shouldn't have said. And I think that's, there's a lot of danger in there for, for Danny to meet with a guy like that. And that meeting, like, pretty late in Danny's life kind of it's just um, a few weeks before Danny died yeah and it's it's uh you know I think Danny if anybody says anything that's true about him it's kind of negative it's like he was very naive and at the meeting Danny according to Tony after that weekend that he spent with Robert Booth Nichols Robert told um had told Danny that weekend you know too much now you're gonna have to die interesting which, which Danny, like, told Tony, he's like, I don't know what he means. You know, I don't like know if it's like a joke he wasn't or, reporting a threat this, like, or whatever. He wasn't reporting this in a melodramatic way. He told his brother, like, this guy said this weird thing to me. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, or he was like, but maybe it was a joke. Like, yeah. maybe he was, you know, he might have been like. Or maybe he's warning me about somebody else. You know, there's all these threats coming in. And it's kind of, you kind of get to the point looking at Danny's notes, like how Christian interpreted them. And it is like. It, it's almost like you know, the question is like from the police is like, ah, he was dealing with all these like weirdos who didn't know anything who were just like leading him on and stuff. And like when we look at it and we look into the actual people he's dealing with, Michael and Robert Nichols and Cuellar and John Nichols, all these people who were alive at the time, Philip Arthur Thompson. BCCI was also collapsing at the time. Yeah. And they had this whole yeah. black network of assassins. and yep. Yeah. 
it's like it's a wonder that Danny didn't die. You know, and it's like it's not very far fetched to think that somebody who's looking at this stuff could die. He's also looking at the Cali Cartel's top lawyer. Yeah, it's just like there's so many people. It's almost and like it's BCCI like murder on the. also being reported on. Like there's the huge blockbuster story, and it was like what Time Time, Time Magazine. Jonathan Betty. Yeah. yeah, and so it was like also Jonathan you know, Betty went into hiding. Yeah, reporters were all over this stuff. Other people, we talked to other reporters who went into hiding after Danny died because they were looking into similar things and they were like, they were getting threats, right? That dude yeah. who was talking to Earl Bryan suddenly mm-hmm. started getting threats and he was like, he was like, yeah, I stopped my investigation right there. He was like, I, I went wow. into, I, I, I drove to the country. I didn't talk to anybody for three months after Danny died. And it's like, you know, it's just like the the sort of official position is like, well, Danny was just going like to kook. You know, it's like, well, what? I don't know, man. These guys were looking into it and they were scared. Yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, that doesn't like cloud my mind about like, you know, people commit suicide. Absolutely. But, and for all okay, kinds that, of reasons. That is true. But there are also, and this is a point that we've, that gets left out and I think is important to make. And I'm not an expert on it, but there are leave no trace hitmen. They can go in and kill somebody and get out without leaving any DNA. And it makes it look like a suicide. I mean, that's just a job. People, I'm I'm pretty good at my job. You guys are good at your jobs. And there's people that kill people that are good at their job. Well, and they it's don't just, get it's, caught. It's just also, I mean, you guys go into this. I was really kind of gratified to see that you guys go into, like, the actual uh, talking about the, the suicide of Danny Castellero's death. Uh, and like going to you know the police department and getting the file and stuff like that. And it was one of those things that like has always kind of floated around as this death tape, uh, which I talked to you uh, to, uh, about. We talked about it yesterday. Um, the uh, and it's just like there is like there, there there's some there's that letter that you guys uncover in the composite sketch, which I think is, I mean, frankly, if watch the documentary, they get to it. Um, yeah. It would do it more justice than, than us talking about it right now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's it's far fetched, and that is one of those things. It's like, I you really can never, and like it sounds like such a cop out. You can never rule out a suicide or whatever. People do kill themselves, um, but it's also like I think in, in this instance, like there's also a lot of extenuating factors, right? Where like you wouldn't maybe necessarily label something a suicide as quickly as you would if this was just a guy who just gotten fired from his job at like you know whatever the plant and. You know, was deep in debt and had been fighting with his wife. I mean, there's there's extenuating factors at play here. I think um, there's also the idea of like there's such thing in my mind, and and who knows if I'm right about this, but like of driving somebody to the brink of something. Who, uh, uh, you know, of 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 feeling so low and feeling so insane about this stuff, and doing it on purpose because this person is onto something. I mean, that's a little more abstract. Yeah, and maybe well, that's like no, a little it's unfounded. Gaslighting, but or whatever. like. But but I guess the point of, that I would like to make is like, just because he, if he did commit suicide, it doesn't mean like, oh well, I didn't like, yeah, he didn't find anything, you know, it's whatever. It's like you can be at a really low place when you're trying to look through all this stuff and you're like broke and whatever. Like you can get to a really low place and have stumbled onto some stuff that that you can't. Even, it's maybe it's too hard to put together or something, but it doesn't make it un. It doesn't real. delegitimize the the work. But also, the suicide is pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's also like there's. I would say there's some definite questions about his suicide or whatever. I mean, even FBI agents said they didn't. They said some FBI agents had questions. Yeah, there were multiple. There was not full, you know, not full consensus, despite what they wanted 
what they put out in the report. Yeah, there's a I, whole Web Hubble story that we had to leave out. Do you want to tell that, Zach? Oh yeah. Do you know what what Webster? Yeah, Hubble? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is, that is like it's sort of like a, just like a, a, a what was a the name of the guy? Vince Foster. There's a Vince Foster little. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. So Tony told us this story that didn't make it in. Is like when when Tony met with Janet. So t- what? Two years after Danny's death. All these people are like, oh, DOJ should investigate Danny's death. The DOJ finally, it's it's a new regime, right? Yeah. Bush is out, Clinton's in. Janet mm. Reno is now the attorney general, and, the goddess. And so Tony's brought into the attorney in the meeting room with the attorney general Janet Reno, and in there is a, a, a lawyer named Webster Hubble, um, and he he. Is Tony sitting there? He's assigned I mean, I, I, I to be in charge like of the investigation. We love to play this clip for people of Tony yeah. telling the story. It's so it's so amazing. He's gonna be he's gonna be in charge of doing the Danny Castellaro investigation, and he says to Tony, "I know what it's like to lose somebody, um, and have it be a question about whether he committed suicide or not." Wow. Because what months, weeks, days earlier, Vince Foster had just been found dead. Yeah. And Webster Hubble sits there. And just melts down into tears in this conference room and starts crying. And no one knows what to do. It's Nobody all lawyers. Nobody knows what to do. And Tony, sweetest guy I've ever met, really. Yeah. <laughs> so Hands down. he gets up and he goes over to Webster Hubble and he puts his arm on his sh- around him and he says, It's okay. Like, it's okay. And it's almost like, you know, you think about like weird sort of psychological stuff going on. Just like, just you know, I'm I'm not like a Vince Foster like was murdered guy. Or whatever. I have zero I'm opinions. Like you certainly. haven't gotten beyond the Wikipedia page. Yeah, I haven't gotten beyond the Wikipedia page. But just that scene, right? And then, and then Webster Hubble, midway through their investigation, is removed. Yeah, because of Whitewater. Because of like mm-hmm. his connections with, uh, you know, cr- some criminal stuff with with his law firm, his old law Rose firm, or something law like firm. that. And it's like it's just such a DC thing. It's like, oh, well, now he's in a scandal, and he has to go. And then they get another group in there to do it. You know, it's just like such a such a nightmare for Tony to go through. And then you know, the end of the report is just like, and we got the report, we got their notes, we got all this stuff, and it's just. It's not as clear cut as these guys want to make it seem. It's just, it's just not. I think it was a rush job um, to get through it and just be like, yeah, what the Martinsburg police said is pretty much right. Like the, these guys were all kooks, and 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 Danny Kubitz said, I'm just like, well, if they were going to go the other way, it would take them ten years. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, not longer. Christian not 10. only that, but the implications would not be good for the government that they work for. You know, especially the DOJ. You know, even even if it, even if Danny. Did kill himself. The stuff that he found out that's, that relates to the DOJ's investigation. You know, something like Philip Arthur Thompson doesn't look great when you have an FBI guy who's an informant who's going around murdering, yeah. raping, selling arms, doing all kinds of stuff with the imprimatur and the help or whatever it is of the FBI and his handlers. It's just not a great look for the for the bureau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something they battle with for. You know, pretty much yearly. Well, it's mass yeah. shooters now, but yeah, yeah. I, you know, I wanted to, because we got to wrap up, but I wanted to ask, um, did you guys find yourself going nuts doing this? I had one, that very recently, one of the pillows from my bed disappeared. It disappeared. <laughs> Like, I looked everywhere. I mean, you ask me any place that it might have been. I looked there, 
Let me ask you this. Yeah? Did you have a dream you were eating a marshmallow? No, no. I don't like marshmallows. Well, you can still dream about Wait, you Wait, th- you feel like you were literally gaslit? I don't know. I mean, w- the the only thing that I can think of, well, I don't have a history of sleepwalking. I've never sleepwalked. Oh, I can't say the same. Um, I would have had to, like, lift, like, heavy windows and thrown it into uh, my street. my street, which I won't say which, which one it is, but... There's often trash on the street, and I don't mm-hmm. see why the pillow of all things would get, you know, if I threw it out the window, would get, you know, taken up. I mean, the, you know, all yeah. the other crap that's on the street still sits there until it gets, you know. So then, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was like, it was really freaky. It was super, I mean, it's it's a soft, uh, literally soft intimidation, but uh, <laughs> I don't know what it was. Yeah. But my pillow disappeared, and I'm, I just think like, I, I thought instantly about this story. I heard um, a, a different inv- a related investigation um, related to Philip Arthur Thompson. Some people um, surreptitiously recorded the FBI agents that were um, handling him. And um, they got home from San Francisco and they took the tape and they put it in this crawl space under the stairs inside a suitcase, in, inside a bag, inside a suitcase and put it. Then when they went out of town the next time and came back, they found the tape in their tape player. Wow. And yeah. so, I, so the pillow disappearing was kind of like, I don't know, maybe someone's like, your show's about to come out. Like, I can take your pillow. I can take your life. Just, like, be good or something. I don't know. Or maybe I'm insane. I don't know what happened to the pillow. I, <laughs> it could have been anything, but not that many things, actually, because I live alone and I all I that do was is my work. Question. Is it, yeah, is it don't a roommate have people coming over? In Bushwick, who's like taking it for making you do the dish, for making them do the dishes. That is it's no. I don't have a roommate. But like, did you go? Did you like? Did you guys like? I mean, obviously, also like doing a documentary is a ton of work. Like working ten years on something, and you, you've been involved for what seven years? Five or six. Like, yeah. It, I mean, since knowing Christian, I've been involved the whole time in some way, just hearing about it. Yeah, we would always talk about it. But you guys but have known each other for a long time. Since we were we kids grew up together in Kentucky. People from Kentucky are crazy. They are crazy. What is that supposed crazy. to mean? Well, well, just, we have a lot of experience with people. Liz and I have a ton of experience with people from Kentucky. Really? I'll just put I hope it like it's that. good. It, it's a it's a mixed spectrum. Bag. It's, mixed it's, bag. it's yeah. mixed bag. Yeah. But all, I would say all like of it has people. been has made an impression upon me. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, I'll take it. But, uh, but no, but the, the insane. You know, it's just like wh- Brace. What are you getting at? Are you trying to like set up a <laughs> a, a, a sort of like context in which like. Somebody can say in the future, like, listen to that Troon on, like, those guys went insane. And, no, that's and not what I'm they saying. Obviously, no, but I when do they think fell out of the window. That first of all, if no, no disrespect, of... but if I'm going to kill two guys in their 30s who live in New York, I'm going to be like, oh, they did cocaine laced with fentanyl. Okay. Not saying you guys do cocaine. Or they get hit by a car on their bike. Or they get hit by a car on their bike. Or there was a gas leak. Or. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, there's a variety of things you can do. I think that there's like a. F- a f- fun and a fear it's like a weird combination of sort of exhilaration that you get from looking into this story mm. that's that's very drug like that's very freaky for somebody like me who's like a, just a wimp you know like yeah I get freaked out by telling this story I yeah. get freaked out by talking about it I like want to knock on wood when I think about the start, conversation we're having right now I just think it's like really grim and, and kind of fucked up you know but you kind of have to talk about it and yeah like who knows what these people like? You know, it's an old story, but who knows what people are up to and like what little 
thing you accidentally uncover that like you didn't think was a big deal, but to somebody out there who's in the world we're talking about, it's like it's almost like we can look at almost like a fictional world. You know, it's like we have characters, we have Robert Wood Nichols. It's always there's something very abstract, but like. They're real, you know, and some of them are still alive, and they have friends, and they, you know, it's a just lot like, of them got arrested for murder, and a lot of them got arrested for murder and other things, you know, and so it's 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 a scary situation. Um, that's that's like you know, I come home, I like to turn on the lights, look around a little bit, and just make sure nobody's in there with me. <laughs> People are so upset when we didn't do the cold open. I know. You know, well, I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out a way. Look, it's just A-B testing. Sometimes, you, sometimes here's the thing. Maybe listeners, we just didn't this do is, <laughs> at this point, listeners, this is like three episodes ago, so you probably don't even remember. But sometimes you just try and different stuff out, okay? You just try and different stuff out. We're growing up in public here at True Enough. Yeah. Hey, give us the space. To experiment. I'm the world's youngest 34-year-old teenager. <laughs> no, preteen. What? I'm a 34-year-old preteen. I'm just a little baby. Oh, God. I'm just a little baby. Oh, no. Here we nope, go. Nope. Reeling that one back in. Um, I am just a little... I'm the world's oldest baby. <laughs> uh, and my name... I would say, watch the damn documentary. I used to call this boss I had that I hated, King Baby. King Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Um, he was I, King Baby. I uh, I was gratified to hear a shout out to Hercules California. In this. Yeah, that was cool. That was, we love Hercules. I got to look up that weird Hungarian school. Yeah, never heard of that before. But it's also like such a common thing with like like post war uh, or especially like post fifties and, and post fifties really like all of these like Eastern European religious groups being used as like mm. kind of conduits for, for intelligence. I mean, there's so much of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's maybe something to look into for another time. With that being said, I am so hungry. I got to eat a little piece of food. My name, but just a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to get into spring shape. Uh, because I am planning to do, and I didn't want to announce this right now, but I feel like I have to. I'm planning to do this job completely naked from now on. Okay. Um, with a little sarong on, but so that's not completely naked, but I'm planning on doing this job in a sarong. My name is Brace. I'm Liz. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky, and this has been True Anon. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>